Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Well, good morning once again. I want you to do this. Just applaud those that were baptized in water. Would you do that? Just give them a give them applause. That is so cool. That is so cool. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you know this, but every one of those candidates come to us and they spend time with a pastor, and we talk to them about the meaning, the scriptural meaning and background of what it is to be baptized in water. Now, when you are a child of one of our pastors, you may get a little more input because Pastor Jeremy Wallace, Doctor Jeremy Wallace, took his little girl aside and taught her the Nicene Creed. Now that's really going. That's over the top. I'll tell you that. So Mariah knows the Nicene Creed. How about that, huh? Isn't that great? So, uh, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> That's great. That is so good. Well, this past Friday was the anniversary of Jesus' death on the cross. And, of course, lots of people died on crosses in the Roman Empire, so Jesus was not unique. Because that was the case, the value of Jesus' crucifixion really needed to be verified. And that's exactly what the world got three days later. At the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, people faced dark and difficult days. And I suppose that every generation thinks times are unusually tough. But in this case, they really were. The Roman Empire had conquered nations from Europe to Asia. They had enslaved millions. The economy would roar one minute. It would collapse the next. They had no modern medicine, no social security, no health insurance. Life was extremely difficult. And many during that time had put their hopes for a better future on Jesus of Nazareth. And they had reason to do that. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He defended the poor. He taught the truth. And he promised the best. But when Jesus died on the cross on that Friday afternoon, their hopes were buried with him. But then came Easter. Of course, they didn't use the word Easter. That's a term we use. They never heard of the word Easter before. For them, it was a Sunday that they would never forget. On the Sunday after the horrible events on Friday, the one who died was alive again. Jesus had risen from the grave. And if this is true, it's spectacular. There's no greater miracle. You see, we work hard in our society to keep people alive. We try to heal the sick. We try to delay death. But there is absolutely no science that can bring us from death to life. If Jesus really rose from the grave, this proves the power of God. This proves everything that Jesus taught. And it gives you and it gives me great hope for a future. You see, without the resurrection, we're all just stuck with hard lives that end with death. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a big deal. It changes everything. But this morning, what I want to do is I want to go beyond this first Easter and all the excitement about Jesus' resurrection. What happened to those who were there, those who believed? What was life like the weeks, I think the months, the years that followed? What were their stories? Because their stories really make a lot of difference. What was life like for them? And as you listen on how Easter changed the lives of a few people who were there that first Easter morning, I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you to keep in mind that for the Easter story to bring real change to your life, it must become your Easter story. It must be your resurrection story. 
that the Easter story would move from the pages of the written word to the pages of your heart. That it would sink deep into your circumstances. That it would go deep into your pain, to your hurt, and I would even say even to your death. And it would bring you resurrected life. When you read the gospel accounts and you go through the Easter stories, there are always a few people that stand out. There are a few people that stand out to me as I read the Easter story just recently that were devastated. They were broken by the events prior to the resurrection. One certainly had to be Peter. Peter was devastated over the denial of Christ. And the other, I would say, is Mary. Mary was devastated and broken over this tremendous loss that the death of Jesus brought to her. You see, Peter's story is one that certainly has some twists and turns to it. If you know about Peter and you read about his life, you certainly can say that because one moment he is what his name means. He's a rock. But then you turn around and the next moment Peter is an impulsive, hot-headed fisherman. But what was his struggle right before and after the resurrection? Did he need proof that there really was the Son of God? That was another disciple's struggle. That was not Peter's struggle. When Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? He answered with an emphatic, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. In this truth, Peter was absolutely confident. You see, I think Peter had another kind of struggle. Uh, A struggle that many of us have after we've denied Jesus, after we have broken fellowship with him. We've all denied him. We've all had things get in the way of our fellowship and relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, Peter wasn't looking for proof that Jesus was the Son of God. Peter was looking for proof that the Son of God still loved him. The question many of us ask when we've fallen, am I worth loving? You see, I think Peter would have said these very words. My doubts are not about Jesus. I have no doubt about him. My doubts are about how someone like him could love someone like me. Does that sound familiar? Have you been echoing those very same thoughts that you, like Peter, have fallen? Not once, not twice, but you've fallen several times. And now there are these strong feelings of unworthiness and strong feelings of separation between you and God. Today, this wonderful Easter morning, I want to give you a key that can unlock this door of separation between you and God. And I believe this with all of my heart, that God will show up in every single moment of your journey, every single moment of your struggle, and he will be there. You will discover the thrill of being chosen and cherished in ways that you've never experienced before. But here's the key. The choice is yours. Only you can make the choice. No one can make this choice for you. Not the person sitting next to you. Not your parents. Not the church. God doesn't even make this choice for you. It's a choice that you must make. In the Gospel of John, the 21st chapter, Jesus invites Peter back into fellowship. And he does so with a morning meal. You see, Jesus extended his love through hospitality to Peter, which, by the way, in ancient custom, is the highest act of restoring relationships. Peter had some choices to make. Peter needed to choose. I think he needed to choose between and include two things. One is choose to accept the love of his Savior. That when he walked into that campfire, that wonderful, that wonderful morning, and Jesus was preparing a meal... He looked into the eyes of his risen Savior and he needed to choose to be loved by him.
That's a decision you can make. It's a decision you can make today. But I think there was another choice that he had to make as well. He needed to choose not to disqualify himself from the love of Christ. Something many of us do when we've denied him. Something that we do when we've fallen several times over and over again. We just decide in our mind and in our heart that, that I'm not worthy to be loved. And I disqualify myself from the love of Christ. You see, it was that one morning over breakfast that Jesus and Peter restored. Peter made some choices. The question is, will you make those same choices? Will you choose to be loved by a Savior? Will you choose not to disqualify yourself from his love? Because again, the choice is absolutely yours. Now after seeing how at the heart of Peter's Easter story was the question, am I really worth being loved? I want to do this. I want to take a few moments to look to another person. Another person who was deeply affected by the tragedy of Jesus' death. And that was Mary from Magdala. We know that Mary was part of a band of women that followed Jesus and the 12 disciples. They went over and around the countryside. They spent time in the Galilee. They took their pilgrimages to Jerusalem. But we also know that Mary was one of the few women who stayed close to Jesus in his final hours. When Jesus was suspended on that cross between heaven and earth, Mary was there. She was a devoted disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. She was the first to the tomb on that first Easter morning. She went there fully expecting to embalm and bury the body of Jesus. Not thinking in any way possible would she encounter two angels and certainly would she never think of encountering her risen Savior. But here's what John 20 verses 11 through 16 tell us. Listen to what it says. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but he did not realize, she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it? That you're looking for. Thinking he was the gardener. She said sir. If you've carried him away. Tell me where you've put him. And I will get him. Jesus said to Mary. Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic. Rabboni. Which simply means teacher. When I read a story like this. There are two things that I want us to notice. About Mary's encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Two things that I think may be similar to our lives, our journey, our difficult times. First, notice that Mary did not realize that she was talking to Jesus. Twice she's asked, why are you weeping? Which tells us that she loved Jesus very much and feared his death greatly. When Jesus actually stands in front of Mary, the reality of death prevented her from recognizing Jesus. What is the lesson? What do we see here? I think it's this, we can be overwhelmed at the same way because our lives are marked by the reality of pain and death. That if you live on this planet, you will experience pain. You will experience death. And in those moments, it's so easy to fail to recognize Jesus. We ask, why God? Where are you, God? Our pain is so great and the immediacy of our need can be blinding 
But do you know where God is? Do you know where he is in the middle of your deepest pain? He's with you. He's always with you. Whether you see him or recognize him, he's with you. The promise in scripture is this, that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. It's repeated in the Old Testament through the New that he's saying to you in your deepest pain, he will be there. He's standing beside you. He's not left you. You see, God knows what it's like to lose something and someone that he loves very much. He knows what it means to suffer greatly, to die even the death of a sinner. He knows what it's like to be cast out of society. He knows what it's like to be lonely, standing all alone. So not only is he with you, he empathizes and he sympathizes with you. He intercedes for you even when we don't recognize his presence and his activity. You see, the fear of death and seasons of pain can keep us from recognizing the presence of Jesus. But here's the encouragement today for all of us. Have faith. Have faith in the truth, the reality that he is there. That whatever you're going through right now, whatever pain, whatever hurt, whatever sorrow, you can be sure like he was with Mary, he is here with you. And secondly, after Jesus asked Mary, who's he looking for? The writer tells us that Mary thought Jesus was the gardener. You read something like this and you wonder, how did she draw that conclusion? Why did she think immediately it was the gardener? Well, there's a reason for that. Often the wealthy would keep burial tombs in the garden, so it was natural that Mary would think this man was part of the estate. But her misunderstanding only points back to a deeper issue. That pain, that fear of death can cause us to misunderstand Jesus. How, for many of us, in the midst of difficulty, we accuse God of not loving us. We accuse God of allowing evil to come upon us and even abandoning us in our most difficult time and hour. Listen, I, I found that, that most people have done what Mary did. First, they fail to recognize the presence of Jesus in their life. And second, they misunderstand their circumstances as evidence that God holds back his goodwill from them. But let me say this, I know with all of my heart that God is good and does good towards his people. And I say this while knowing fully that evil and difficulty is alive and well in the world we live in. So what is it here? God remains good, not because he prevents bad from happening to us, but because he gives us strength that allows us to stand through the difficult times. That it's by the power of God's Holy Spirit that we're buoyed up. It's by the power of his spirit and his life, his resurrected life, that we can go through the difficult times. God isn't about circumventing the pain or the sorrow or the difficulty. He's about giving you strength through those moments, through those hours, days, weeks, and yes, even years. Our Easter story means that God's goodness remains in abundance no matter the tragedy because tragedy is not the end of your story. And I want you to hear that. It is not the end of your story. God's glory is. It's his resurrected power in you that gives him glory. Do you know when Mary truly realized who was standing before her? When she had her eyes opened it was when Jesus called her by name, a simple Mary. 
That's all she needed to recognize Jesus as Lord. And friends, the same is true for us. Because if you ask me and ask many people who have experienced the resurrected life for themselves, what calms our fears and sets our hearts at ease isn't an explanation of God's character. It's good to have. It isn't all the books on theology. That's good to have. What does ease us? What does set our hearts at ease? It's knowing that he's called us by name. That the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, knows your name. And that he speaks your name. When your spiritual perspective goes from facts about God to a friendship with Jesus Christ, your story begins to change. Because what has happened? Your perspective has changed. You're not just looking at things about God. You're getting to know who God is. Who he is in your relationship. And that draws you close to him. And you'll find as you draw close to him, He's a friend, he is a friend indeed, and he will stick to you closer than a brother. Today we've heard stories about Peter, we've heard a story about Mary, but I wanted you to hear another story today, a story of someone who is in this congregation, this church that has a testimony that they want to share with you, and I've invited Renee, if she would just come and share her story with all of us, and that you would keep your eyes and ears open and embrace the story and the testimony that she's giving us today. Thank you, Ron. In order to share with you today about renewed life, I actually have to take you back to the place of death, to March 29, 2007, when I lost my youngest son, Jesse. And I apologize for that. Kleenex can be found in the seat pockets in front of you. Jesse was lost in a fast-moving river, and I mean literally lost. The witnesses and the recovery crews knew that he hadn't survived, but they hadn't found him yet, and I needed him to be found. So some close friends went to the river at my insistence. I needed him to be found. Shortly after they arrived, the recovery crews were called about a mile downstream. A fisherman had been standing on the heavily wooded banks of the Malala River, and there he saw a beam of light hit the water and go down 15 feet deep. And there he saw my son. The crews were called, and they eventually brought Jesse home to us to see and to weep over and to touch and to kiss. The gift that was is indescribable. In the long road to life after death, there are many cycles. Cycles of grief, of joy, of questions, of understanding, and of not knowing what anything means anymore. But one thing remains, and that is my view of God's grace has expanded beyond anything I could have imagined. It's as if everything I knew before about God's grace was a, a glass of water, and now I see an ocean. Mm -hmm. And now I know how little I do know about God's love and his compassion and his great grace. Mm -hmm. The crosses on either side of this stage 
from the soffit to the handrail are about 15 feet high. And over the years, as I have sat in the back there, and I have wondered about God's hand in my life, and I have wondered if I could walk, and I have wondered if God was walking with me, sometimes I would look at those crosses, and I would remember that 15 feet of light and God's indescribable gift to me through that. Mm. And as life has returned to my heart, I'm actually looking beyond those crosses to the cross. Mm -hmm. And his light has penetrated my heart Mm -hmm. and brought me to a place of newness and peace. He's brought me from a place of desperately trying to survive to a place of seeking him just to know him more. And in my mind, to go from there to there, to be touched by the hand of the Almighty God and to be brought from those depths to this is the very definition of resurrected life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Stay here with me just for a moment. One of the things that we were concerned with at that river that day is Jesse's friends because we weren't sure they were going to make it. And as a pastor, emotionally, you're wondering if they're going to make it. Spiritually, you're wondering if they're going to make it. And so it weighed heavy on us as parents, as leaders, as pastors, as part of a community. And I remember that that same, almost that same group, it was almost a year later, took a trip to Israel with us. We took a boat onto the Galilee And it was in the middle of the Galilee that they pushed chairs aside, music started, and they all just started to dance. And I watched them dance, and the Lord just spoke these words to me. He said, you see, I've turned their mourning into dancing. Mm -hmm. You see, that is God's grace. That is his resurrected power. Thank you, Renee. Thank you. What you've heard today are several stories, one from Peter, one from Mary, finally a story from someone here at our church. You see, these stories point to a larger story of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. We celebrate Easter because we have a firm hope that death is not the end, pain is not meaningless, and that God is powerful enough to raise us again to new life. What does Easter do for us? Easter reminds us that God's work is more powerful than the work of the world, than the work of Satan, and even the work of death. Easter teaches us that we need not live in fear. We need not live with anxiety. Easter gives us hope for today and hope for a great and wonderful future. And so today, what I want to invite you to do is to have your story intersect with God's story. May I ask you to consider, and maybe for the first time, allowing a relationship with Jesus Christ to enter your life, to change and transform your story and to give you hope because we understand that his grace is free, but it did not come cheaply. Salvation and new life is possible because Christ died. He was buried and mostly because he resurrected from the grave. It's a wonderful gift that God has given us. A gift that makes all the difference in life and all the difference through death. Would you do this? Would you bow your head with me just for a moment? 
And I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. I'm going to ask that everyone in this room pray the same prayer. And at the end of this prayer, if you're saying you've accepted Jesus into your heart, that your story is intersecting with God's story, then I'm just going to ask that you, right where you are, quietly just lift your hand. I won't call you out. I won't embarrass you. The lifting of a hand is just a confession saying, yes, I received Christ in my heart today. But there's no greater story than you could have is the story of a resurrected Savior, Jesus, living, living in you. The Bible says Jesus in you, Jesus in me is the hope of glory. It's the hope for a better future, the hope for a better now. And if you need that today, you need Jesus. If you need to be mended from your brokenness, you need Jesus. If you need healing, you need Jesus. If you need forgiveness of sin, you need Jesus. Repeat after me, everyone in this room, a very simple prayer. It goes like this. Dear Jesus, I give you my story today. And I pray that you fold your story into mine. That my story will be a story of hope. A story of life. A story of resurrection. Today I confess with my mouth. I believe in my heart that you are my Lord and Savior. Come and make my heart your home. I receive the gift of eternal life. Still with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you prayed this prayer, receiving Jesus in your heart this morning, would you just lift your hand where you are and keep your hand up. Good. Just lift your hand up just so we can see where you're at. We can get to you and we want to give you something that will help you get started. There's some folks up here in the front row as well. If you just lift your hand, come right up here, Brett, right here. And once you receive a pamphlet, we're giving you what we call just a starter kit. We want to give you something. And then once you receive that, wonderful, thank you. Once you receive that, you can put your hand down. We don't want to miss anyone. We don't want to miss anyone. This is an important time. Decisions are being made. Choices are being made. For those that lifted your hands, thank you for your courage and your faith. And I'm going to encourage you to do this. Take what you've been given today as a, as a starter kit for you. But tell someone. The Bible tells us to confess our relationship with Jesus Christ. Your decision today, you've moved from the old to the new. Your life has changed. After the service, if you want to go to some of our prayer teams, go to them. Tell them the decision you made. They would be more than happy to pray with you. But we're so thankful for your salvation today. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.